You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Yesterday morning, our neighborhood um, had one of these collective yard sales. And uh, so <laughs> everything's, you know, everyone's trying to get rid of it. Actually, my observation is people just rotate their junk. You know, and the next year you see, wait, I bought it. So next year it's going to go out and we just kind of rotate our stuff. That, uh, but uh, since we just moved literally just less than a year, we really didn't have surplus stuff. We, we had done the purging of things at that point in time. And so we didn't really have anything that we wanted to sell or get rid of. But we said, you know, let's use this op- as an opportunity to go meet some of our neighbors. And, uh, you know, so that's what we did. And so we got up, you know, made, and it was cooler. I actually had on a little jacket, which was, which was because it was a, a little, little chilly in the morning. Um, you know, had our cup of coffee and our, our travel mugs, and we're walking up the street. And across the street, up a house, we met uh, Marson and Sarah. A uh, younger couple had only been here for a few months. They moved in to their house, actually, after we moved into ours. <clears throat> moved here from Chicago. She works for Lowe's. Um, they transferred her, um, you know, to here for the corporate office. He's a stay-at-home dad. Uh, they've got three little girls, two, four, and six. And uh, so we met Marson and Sarah uh, across the street from us. Uh, the other side, uh, across the street, um, is Ron and Lori. Uh, Ron had this plan to develop, um, a, a, a put together a nursery, a yard, you know, stuff business here in Mooresville. Um, but it fell through because of some zoning restrictions on the building they had. And so he's now trying to figure out what he's going to do. And Lori loves dogs. She's the neighborhood dog walker. So you see her always walking. When everybody goes on vacation, whatever, they don't kennel them. Lori will take them and walk their dogs for them and get them out. And their youngest son's about uh, ready to join the Air Force. So that's, that's Ron and Lori across the street. Uh, and then on the same side of the street, but down a couple of houses, we met um, Tom and Lisa empty nesters like Betts and I. She's a long-term substitute teacher. Um, they've lived in their home for 21 years. They're one of the longest, if not the longest residing homeowners in, that, in our plan area there. So they know everybody. Unfortunately, uh, they're Ohio State fans, and so I told them that we could never be friends. Um, but uh, actually, I did tell them that, and they laughed, and we... Because Ohio State's really good, and Michigan stinks. So... Uh, um, I didn't have much to stand on. But it really it was a pleasant experience. We really had a good time of just meeting some of our neighbors, you know, during the wintertime or just the way things are. You, you, the door, garage door goes up, you drive in, the door goes, and, you know, unless you're outside doing something, you don't meet them. And so it was really a pleasant experience. We, we discovered we have some really nice neighbors and some people we enjoyed. And Betsy even ended up getting a small table for our deck. Uh, that little end table that uh, she really likes. And here's the thing. What's really interesting is uh, we woke up that morning, even though this was in our plans, neither one of us were really excited about going out. Do we really want to do this? And, you know, we had been out late the night before. We went down, actually, in Uptown the night before for a, a, a gathering. And both of us had full plans for the day. And like, oh. You know, so why did we go? So if that's, that's what, what did we, no, in interest of full disclosure, I did know about the sermon that was coming up, the idea of being a neighbor. And so the series, you know, and I realized it would reflect poorly, you know, that if I wasn't even willing to meet my neighbors. Um, 
Even so, that, that was so, I, I, I was aware of that, but that wasn't the reason, because we talked about this even before I knew this, before I actually began, you know, planning for the sermon, and here's why. Here's why we did this, because both of us have this very, very deep conviction that God wants to use us to accomplish his purposes in the lives of our neighbors. As followers of Jesus Christ, you and I are part of God's redemptive plan here on earth. We are. We're part of his plan. That happens best in the context of relationships. And you can't have relationships until you actually get out and meet people and talk to people and get to know them. This is so important. Jesus actually says in 1 John 13, Jesus, or I'm sorry, in John 13, Jesus says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Notice he didn't say, hey, I have a suggestion for you. Or he said, you know, be nice to people when it's convenient. Or love others if you have time. No, he said, this is a new command I give you. There is an expectation from Jesus. This is what he expected us to do, and this is the way he expects us to behave. The command to love our neighbors lies at the core of God's plan for our lives. That's part of how he made us and shaped us. Today is part one in a three-part series that we're looking at, The Art of Neighboring. Now, what makes this series interesting is that today in the next two weeks, um, it's being preached this sermon series is preached in over 100 congregations here in the Charlotte area. There's 100 different churches that said, huh, what would happen if the people in our churches, if the church of Jesus Christ actually were the neighbors that Jesus wants us to be? What would change? What would be different? What would happen if we loved our neighbors the way Jesus wants us to love them? <clears throat> so I think the idea of uh, you know, loving your neighbor isn't demonstrated any more clearly than in the story of the Good Samaritan. And that's actually our launching point here from Scripture. So if you want to follow along on the screen, we're going to read from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied. Have you read it? He answered, Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. 
The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And I'm thankful, Lord God, for the lesson here that Jesus is, is, is giving all of us, not just this one individual. Lord, I just pray that you would help our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to understand, Lord God, what you would have us to understand this day. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> um, a couple notes about this passage. Um, <clears throat> love your neighbor as you love yourself. Interesting way to phrase that, especially when Jesus in another point in time also said, you need to pick up, deny yourself pick up your cross and follow me. So how do we reconcile this idea of love yourself with this other idea of deny yourself? Well, first I think the idea, when we raise, when he says love yourself, he's not talking about self-indulgence. He's not talking about, you know, I deserve this. You know, this is not, you're not being pampered. This is not about you um, taking, you know, liberties in your, for your own self. He's, to love yourself basically means you're doing those things that enhance your well-being. Whatever enhances your being, health, safety, financial stability, the things that enhance your well-being, that is what Jesus meant to is by loving yourself. So then and to love my neighbor means to enhance their well-being. You do the things that enhance their well-being, things that you do those things that are in their best interest. So that's one thing. We talk about what it means to love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's about looking out for their benefit. The other thing here, when the lawyer or the legal, the legal person, he says to justify himself, he asked, who is my neighbor? The very question implies that not everyone is my neighbor. So when he asks this question, you know, who is my neighbor? We always think of this as kind of a general sense. Well, everyone's kind of our neighbor, whoever we encounter and whoever is in need. And, but it, he was, there was a very specific understanding. This was not a universal idea. So the very fact he asked that question said that, or implied that he, in his mind that not everyone was his neighbor. And this actually comes from uh, Leviticus chapter 19, this whole idea where in Leviticus 19, verse 18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. So way back in Leviticus, this has been understood, that the idea. But the key words there is among your people. See, the idea was that Israelites were meant to love fellow Israelites and that you were to treat them well and... <clears throat> but it didn't apply to outsiders. It didn't. And <clears throat> your neighbor, at that, at that point, was a fellow Israelite. But what had happened since that time, since the time of Leviticus in the Old Testament, since then, Israel was now a conquered territory. We had Roman army, and there's all kinds of foreigners and aliens running around. But to the religious 
rulers and to the, the elite, if you will, and those who are most religious, they still held to this idea that my neighbor is a fellow Israelite, and we don't need to worry about those who are not Israelites. And he's wanting to validate that practice. That's why he asked the question, well, who's my neighbor? He was hoping Jesus would say, well, it's Israelites, which would justify his behavior of how he'd been living his life. <clears throat> But instead of answering the question, Jesus tells the story. So he doesn't address that, but he actually turns it on his head. So that's, when we talk about who is my neighbor, that's what's behind this. He's wanting to say, you know, we don't have to love everybody. Everybody's not my neighbor. Just Israelites was the common understanding. The other thing I think is just worth noting is that this idea of the priest and the Levite, the two in the story that walk by, um, <clears throat> both pass by on the other side. There's a lot of guessing out there in writings as to why they would pass by. Uh, and you're going to find, if you did searches and do a lot of research, you're going to find a multiple number of reasons why people think, but they're all guessing. Because Jesus doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us why, and that's not the point of the story. The most common one I've heard is that because to get involved with this person, especially if he was bleeding and injured, that they would become ceremonially unclean, which they couldn't or shouldn't do. But the simple fact was that wasn't according to the law. There were exceptions to the law for even priests and Levites that if a person needed help, you were to help them. People were more important and there was an expectation. Clearly the point of the story and the inclusion here is one of, is to convey a sense. When, when this individual and others who are listening to this story heard it, they would have been disappointed that the priest and the Levite did not stop. That was the idea is that there was an expectation. And it's also interesting that the priest was first because that's the most shocking. So when he says a Levite didn't stop, it's actually less of an, oh, oh, the priest didn't stop, and Levite, because the Levites were kind of the second tier, if you will, of leadership. But there was clearly this idea of disappointment that they wouldn't have stopped. <clears throat> the acts of the Samaritan, on the other hand, would have been a complete surprise. That's the, that's, the, that's the twist, the plot twist, if you will, that no one was expecting, but yet Jesus, as he tells the story. If you remember from our conversation here a couple weeks ago, I'm talking about the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, I'm talking about the history between the groups, and Israelites considered them to be half-breeds, and they had intermarried, uh, the Samaritans had intermarried with other nations and were were mixing religions and idol worship and things, and, and Israelites wanted nothing to do with Samaritans. And so the idea that a Samaritan would actually behave this way when the others didn't was really surprising. Those listening to Jesus would not have expected him to stop and help. But he did. So what might be some things we can observe from the Samaritan that would be characteristics of a good neighbor? few things. One, he was aware of opportunities to serve and help. <laughs> We're not told why the Samaritan was on the road. The impression is that he was on a business trip. That's kind of the sense we get from the story. Because <clears throat> um, he actually says to the innkeeper later on, and when I return, so he was on his way to somewhere, and then he was expecting to come back. So it gives the idea that he might have been out for business. Regardless of the reason why, clearly the injured man 
was an interruption of his plans. That was not part of his schedule for the day. If our heart is to be used by God, we don't have to go looking for opportunities. God will bring them to us. We just need to pay attention. And I've said this before, some of God's greatest moments are disguised as inconveniences and hardships. We just have to recognize it. But this man, the Samaritan, recognized an opportunity and he got involved. <clears throat> Second thing he did is the Samaritan was motivated by compassion. There is overwhelming pain and suffering in the world today. There really is. It, honestly, it's really easy to get numb to all of it. Almost to the point where it just, we just don't give it any thought because, well, that's just kind of par for the course is almost how it's come, become. Here's the thing. We can't become indifferent to those needs that we see around us. We're going to talk more about the, what this looks like here in the next couple of weeks. We'll address this even further. But, but what motivated uh, the Samaritan was compassion. He had pity on the man and took action. We need to have that same sense of compassion for, for those who are around us. Number three, the Samaritan took the initiative to engage in conversation and service. <clears throat> he didn't do it all by himself. Notice he took care. He, 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 he did triage, if you will. He did the the immediate first aid with man, but then he put him on his donkey and took him to an inn. He had to engage the innkeeper there about what was happening as well. He didn't do it all by himself. He engaged the innkeeper, but he did take responsibility to make sure that the man got what he needed. He didn't refer the man to someone else, you know, which is kind of what's easy. Well, have you called one of the social agencies or if you've done this? And which isn't necessarily wrong, but sometimes... Maybe it's ours to get involved. He didn't stand around and pray for someone else to help. He got involved. He took initiative. Fourth thing he did, the Samaritan was willing to be inconvenienced to help others. He used supplies from his own personal first aid kit. And he wasn't just inconvenienced for a couple hours. It says that he took them to an inn and took care of him. And then in verse 35, it says, and the next day. That's when the story picks up. So this was an, now an overnight thing. This was a really, really big inconvenience or big interruption on what, um, on what he was uh, in, in the, the Samaritan's life. <clears throat> so the Samaritan was willing to be inconvenienced to help others. Now, what I'm going to say next is going to muddy the waters here a little bit. Um, but as I was finalizing this, working through this again uh, last night, just really, um, I don't know, maybe just for one person needs to hear this. Not every crisis that presents itself is yours to fix. Yes, we need to be willing to take the extra step and get involved and be inconvenienced, but not every crisis that comes your way is yours to fix. The situation with the Samaritan was pretty obvious. To not stop and help would have been wrong. I mean, it was right there in front of him. So at the Nick V um, services we had um, a couple weeks ago, so I was in the prayer room each of the nights afterwards, and 
um, one of the nights, actually the first night, I was called over to help and talk with a guy who was there. And so I started talking with him, and um, um, he's in his 20s, homeless, didn't have, a, didn't have a place to live. And my first inclination is like, all right, I got to figure out how to help this guy. What are, you know, what do we got to do? And how do I make it better for him? And, you know, so we talked and we were just hearing a little bit more of his story. And I learned that he had a job. He didn't have a car, didn't want one. Didn't have a bike, didn't want one. He wanted to walk everywhere he went. He had no interest in going to a shelter. I said, I, 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 I'm, I'm good. I don't want to go to a shelter. So I finally asked him, so how can we help you? And he said, I need wisdom to make better choices. I said, okay. And so we prayed, and that's what I prayed. And he was happy and left. And I... So I I realized there's a lot more to the story, and there's a lot more of the questions I raised, but I just realized at that moment... It, that wasn't my problem to fix. He didn't want me to fix. He didn't want me to make life better for him. And sometimes some things come to us and our inclination is we got to step in and do this. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Is this really in their best interest? Is this really what is needed at this moment? And sometimes it is. The Samaritan story, that is absolutely what was needed and necessary. I think sometimes for us, it is appropriate that we pause, say, God, is this, my, is this mine you want to pick up? And actually ask that. I think that's a fair question to ask, given what happens in our life and happens in the world. While it's good and right to be, that we be willing to be inconvenienced to help others, we also need to pray for discernment to know the appropriate action to take. So that's the fourth thing we saw the Samaritan do. <coughs> the fifth thing is the Samaritan was willing to go above and beyond to bring help. Verse 35, it talks about two silver coins. Some of your translations might say two denarii. Um, I've also discovered that there's not not consistency as to what the value of that is. I've heard it's it's two days wages for a common laborer. I've also heard and read that it was the basic cost for board and lodging for two weeks. If that's the case, this was... This, he, he, he was expecting that this guy was going to need some time to recover. He wasn't going anywhere the next day. He was going to be there for a few days. <clears throat> and then the Samaritan said, all right, even if this isn't enough, you know what's, what's interesting, reflecting back in this letter that Paul wrote, again, remember, he, he, um, he visited them, and when he came back, he sent a letter. Um, it didn't work. He heard that they were not behaving, so he sent the second letter, which is actually 1 Corinthians um, it still didn't work. We actually know from 2 Corinthians that Paul actually uh, made a visit, another visit, a second visit. It's not recorded in Acts. But he, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about the time he came back to them again because they just weren't getting it. He'd had a personal visit, two different letters. He'd sent different people, and they just were really struggling. So he went out, and it says that he had a painful meeting, is how he described it, a painful visit. And uh, so it was a come-to-Jesus meeting, I guess, where he just said, and laid it on the line. And we know from 2 Corinthians and the content that we've seen there that they finally began to get it because the tone is very different. 
they finally discovered that the significance in life comes from serving one another, not from being selfish and wanting things your own way. Serving one another is the key. May that always be true for the people of Grace Covenant Statesville. Let's pray. Father, this morning we've had a chance to, um, again, just to, to sing and lift our voices and worship. We've had a chance to give. We've had a chance to talk and share and, and laugh at some goofy videos. And uh, Father, again, all of it is because of our love and, and our passion for you and our desire to live out our faith. And Father, even though our faith is incredibly personal, it was never meant to be individualistic. It was always intended to be lived in relationship with other Christ followers. So God, thank you for the people of Grace Covenant Statesville. Father, thank you for what you're building and developing here and that you've called us to be a part of it. And uh, Lord, our desire is to honor you in all that we say and do. Father, if there's anyone here who's feeling a little left out, I pray, God, that an extra dose of grace would be on them this morning. Father, that uh, maybe there's feelings that have been hurt or maybe things didn't set quite right. Father, I pray that you would heal that in the name of Jesus right now. And Father, maybe there's, as we're just sitting here reflecting, maybe, Father, someone comes to mind that maybe we weren't as gracious as we could have been and maybe we need to go back to them and ask for forgiveness and make sure that that relationship is right. Uh, Father, I pray that you would protect this congregation from those seeds of anger, from those seeds of strife and division, that they would not take root and that they would die quickly. Father, that your Holy Spirit would protect us as a congregation. So Father, we thank you again for this day. And Lord, as we leave this place, I ask, Father, that you would uh, continue to go before us and prepare the way. Father, that you give your people favor with uh, the tasks they put their hands to, with the relationships and the people they meet. Father, that each would be blessed this day, I pray. It is in Jesus' name. Amen. And what do you want me to do in this situation? And then act. And then take the steps that are needed. By the end of the story that Jesus was telling, the expert in the law realized that loving your neighbor is more important than following the law. Now, up to now, this idea of loving your neighbor has been a very general idea. As I wrap up my talk, let's be a little bit more specific. Let's actually uh, talk about our physical neighbors. What's interesting is that during Paul's second missionary journey, he stopped in the city of Athens. And he's given his discourse, actually one of the most famous of his uh, talks that he gave in all all the book of Acts. But he says this in chapter 17. He says, from one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them, now notice this, and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. <clears throat> we, the houses we're living in, <clears throat> you know, all of us, whether we buy it, whether we rent, or whether we're in a home or an apartment or wherever it is, there's various very specific reasons why we bought that particular house or why we're in that particular place. Location, cost, 
you may stop. I mean, there's, we made a lot of subjective decisions. Paul is implying here, what if behind all of this, God wants you there? And God has you there for a reason and a purpose. What if God has us in our neighborhoods around the people that we live for a specific reason? Let's play that out. So let's say that's the case. So if so, then being a good neighbor is something each of us should care about. So we have some action steps for you this week. And I want you to uh, pull out this little piece of paper. And I want you to think about your literal neighbors, not a general, you know, who's in my life. And I want you to, th- I want to think about the, not, not neighbors at work, neighbors in where you live. Uh, again, if you live in a neighborhood, that's just fairly easy. <clears throat> if you live in a, an apartment, you might have to be a little creative as to who's around you, but, but get the idea. Who's in close proximity to you um, as you think about this? So here's some suggestions. Introduce yourself to one new neighbor you don't know. I can check that one off because I did that yesterday. I met three, three new neighbors um, <clears throat> that I didn't know. Some of the things that are really a way to help with that is do prayer walks. Walk around your neighborhood or your building or area just praying for them, praying for your neighbors. As you walk by a house, pray for the occupants. Even if you don't know them, pray for them. With this map, this map here, <clears throat> I know it looks like a tic-tac-toe board, and if you haven't already used it as such, um, <clears throat> think about your eight closest neighbors, those who are pr- closest to you, and write their names in the box. So in one box is, in one box is, you know, here's one name, here's one family, here's another family, here's another family. So around you, who are the eight people, eight homes closest to you? And write the names of the occupants in there. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to actually do that right now. Should have passed out pens. How many of you can fill out all eight boxes? A few of you? Okay. I couldn't. And I, and I, I, I got five. So I, I felt pretty good. And that's, and that's knowing that I got three of them yesterday. You know, so... Uh, <clears throat> I got work to do. Okay? And I, I think that's the point, is we realize we can't be used by God to influence those around us if we don't even know who they are. So, <clears throat> identify them. Another thing you can do that's practical is look for one opportunity to serve another, to serve a neighbor. <clears throat> um, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about um, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Martha Gingerts came up to me afterwards and says, you know what the best way to actually you know, uh, connect with somebody, especially if you're not even sure you know, the nature of a relationship, ask them for a favor. And I thought, I said, that's genius. 
and to say, hey, I need some help moving this. Can you help me? Think about if a neighbor came and asked you to do that. What would be your response? Absolutely. We, we, the idea of connecting and being able to help someone, we like that idea that it, it makes us feel good. So to ask someone for a favor, we, we tend to go the other direction. We don't want to impose any. We don't want to inconvenience. So we don't. But yet when you do, <clears throat> you're not asking for anything big, but just something small. It actually creates an opportunity, an opening for you to have a conversation. And it establishes that relationship in a way that never was before. So engage your neighbors. Either look for an opportunity to serve or figure out a reason that you need some help. Hey, I want to move this over here. Can you help me? It takes a minute. But yet it opens up a door of communication. <clears throat> Here's one of the things I'm convinced of. Before you and I can share God's love we must first recognize and receive God's love. We can only give what we've received. So to share God's love, you first have to have received God's love. And even in fact, in 1 John, it says that we love because he first loved us. So I don't know if we're all you're at. I think I know most of you where you're at with the Lord, but in order to share God's love, if you're not, if you've never received Jesus Christ into your life and surrendered your life to him and received that love from him, that's the first step. I'm also really aware <clears throat> that for some of us, we struggle with that, with the reality that God could in fact love us, whether it's because of our past behaviors, because of our own insecurities and fears. We really struggle with the fact that can God love me And I guess what I would suggest and what I would encourage you this morning is, is that if that is you, I think it's real appropriate to pray daily if you need to. God, remind me today how much you love me. Because he does so very much. And he has no problem wanting to show that and express that to you. I'm convinced that when we recognize the love that God has for us, you know, the love that we've received from him, it becomes so much easier to love other people. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to have compassion for those around us. <clears throat> Lord, give us opportunities to meet our neighbors, to meet those that are closest to us. Help us to recognize opportunities that present themselves. And Father, give us the courage and boldness to act when something emerges. Father, give us wisdom and discernment to know how best to serve. Lord, may we live out of the surplus of love that we have received from you. Lord, I pray that, that today and for this coming week that we'd be more attuned and more attentive to those around us. And Father, may we actually take practical steps to let your love flow through us to those around us. So, Father, we commit ourselves to your purposes this day. God, I'm thankful for each one that's here and for what you're doing in their lives and through them, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.